and welcome to another edition of the China in Africa podcast. I'm Eric Olander, and as always, I'm joined by Kobus van Staden of Witts University in Johannesburg. A very good afternoon to you, Kobus. Good afternoon, and we're thrilled to have back on the show again one of our what I Kobus I got to say he's one of our, our our favorite guests if not the number one <laughs> definitely in the top three. Uh, Huang Hongxiang joins us from uh, from Nairobi Kenya, uh, and you'll recall maybe from the last time we had uh, Hongxiang on the show, and I was just telling Kobus how it was my favorite show that we've ever done because Hongxiang was zipping down the highway and we did the entire show with him flying down the highway uh, in in rural Kenya, and so uh, Hongxiang. Thank you so much for joining us again. Thank you. Well, let me give everybody just a quick update on what Hongxiang is doing. He's, uh, it's very difficult to kind of put him into uh, a single box to define what he does. But uh, most recently, he's the founder and director of China House, which is a social enterprise focused on helping Chinese better integrate into Africa. China House is based in Nairobi. And part of what he's doing is working with Chinese companies and Chinese individuals, Chinese students on uh, corporate social responsibility projects, doing some consulting. And the reason why we've brought Hongxiang back on the show again today was because he mentioned in uh, one of the academic forums out there that he's working uh, with a Chinese solar power company in uh, rural Tanzania to bring electrification out to uh, rural parts that at this point are cut off from the grid. So we thought this would be a good opportunity not only to find out more about this particular project in Tanzania and the Chinese partner here, but also to talk about Chinese solar power initiatives across the continent because it is one of the uh, very interesting aspects of China's development, particularly in the context of the fact that the Chinese are more well-known for building massive dams, uh, massive gas plants, uh, hydrocarbon-based uh, energy, and also energy extraction out of uh, hydrocarbon energy extraction out of Africa. And so green energy is not something that the Chinese are known for in Africa, but it might be time to actually put that on the radar. So, Hongxiang, let's just get a quick update from you on, on the project that you're working on and uh, you know what's behind it, who are the players, and then we'll kind of get down into the nitty-gritty of it. Tell us a little bit about this project in rural Tanzania. Okay, so one of the work we China has to do is we help Chinese investors look into investment opportunities, especially in the area that which is more tightly linked with like sustainable development. So recently there's one Chinese top 10 solar company they are interested in investing in rural part of Tanzania. Essentially, they want to go to the villages that is without electricity and without any grid and build off-grid solar power plants there and then generate electricity for the villagers. And they asked us, China House, to help them do this research, including desktop research and also field research, to see whether this project is feasible and if it's feasible, how to implement this kind of investment project. So we just went to Tanzania for this visit. And actually, even at this moment, moment, three of our colleagues, they're still in Tanzania. They are doing the field work there right now. Hongxiang, um, how is this company planning to make a profit out of this? Or is it is it basically an aid organi- um, operation? Or is, it, is there some kind of business plan involved as well? Well, the initial idea is like, you know, World Bank and including the U.S. government, they have a lot of, like, supporting programs for this kind of, like, initiative, including the Lighting Africa, Power Africa, this kind of project. So their idea is, like, they build a solar power plant in the villages. On one hand, they charge electricity fee from the villagers. 
on the other hand, they get a subsidy from World Bank and or any international development organizations. Because this kind of project is not very, very feasible. It, it just depends on the business itself. Because the, it's, it's not so easy for the villagers to afford this kind of electricity, even if you generate for them. And the management and maintenance is not so easy. So what they are looking for is they want to try to work with international development organizations. Okay, well, you bring up a very good point here about the the maintenance and the management of these projects that are not very not very easy to do. So, you know, uh, sustainable development, the key word is sustainable. And so one of the things that crosses my mind is that this Chinese company may install these wonderful solar panels that for the time that the World Bank grants are in, are, are in effect, uh, people are getting electricity. The minute the World Bank grants go away, well, so do the engineers, so do the support networks, so does everything else with it, and these people are left with nothing at the end of the day, which is unfortunately in Africa and in many parts of the developing world, the World Bank has a terrible reputation for this kind of behavior. So I'm just wondering is that maybe solar power, as ideal and green and clean as it is, requires a lot of sophisticated maintenance and upkeep and that makes it not very sustainable in the long run. Well, so first, I, I need to say that like the solar industry in China is very sophisticated. Like the cost is actually not very high, and the quality is is okay, and the maintenance is not too difficult. So ideally, if like for example, if they can get a grant, so there's a grant in in in, in Tanzania which gives essentially 500 USD for per household connection. So essentially, the the ideal idea is when they get this kind of grant. They already basically cover the cost, and then they kind of like involve the villagers in the maintenance of this kind of project. They pay the like they prepay the electricity fee, and they participate in the maintenance. So the what bank grant will actually help this kind of project start. And after the start, the maintenance will not be too difficult. However, the reality right now is due to our like according to our research, the this kind of, this World Bank project is already running out of funds. In Tanzania, so this 500 USD grant is already not available at this situation. So it's it's much difficult for these Chinese companies, but they are still not giving up. Now they ask us to see whether they can do this kind of project without the World Bank support, or if they cannot do it in a way of building a power plant and then building the grids for the whole villages. Can they maybe sell some small set of equipment like electricity, the, the solar board panel, and also with some light and some charger just for some households in those villages? Whether there will be some way to make the business sustainable by itself without being like relying on like external support? They are still exploring whether this is feasible right now. Um, over the last while, um, we've seen Chinese solar panel manufacturers being hit by tariffs in the EU and in, and in the US. Um, is that, uh, you know, kind of providing a little bit of, um, of you know, is that spurring them on to try and try and find new markets? And uh, is that making Africa a bit more of an attractive destination for them? Of course. Now a lot of the Chinese solar companies, they are looking for the African market. And even for these companies, so at the beginning, the idea is not you want to help the villagers, so you go to the villages. It's because the rural, like the rural solar market is more, it's, it's quite empty to the Chinese investors. Because although a lot of the Chinese companies have been thinking about doing something in the rural area, but first, a lot of the Chinese companies, they do not know 
what's going on there. They may think it's extremely poor there, so people don't need electricity. They can't afford electricity at all, and they don't know how to get support to do this kind of project. And so for this project, it was introduced by some of the, the local people there. So we went to the villages, some of the villages to actually see. We feel the villages, they're actually very prosperous. They don't have electricity, but because of agriculture and so on, their living standard is actually not that low. So they somehow can afford this kind of like electricity at a certain level. And there would be some development support. That's why this company is looking to invest in this area. And it's very interesting. Other Chinese solar companies in Tanzania, when they know we are doing this project, they are actually very curious as well because they want to see whether this investment like opportunity is really feasible because they have been there looking and waiting for a long time without entering. You, you know, Kobus, it's interesting. There's two key things that, that Hongxiang has said that I think are, are worth pursuing here. Number one is the fact that uh, the Chinese, are, you know, have more motivation than pretty much anybody on the planet to develop solar and green power. And this is something that's very poorly understood on the outside. Um, when you look at the statistics about China's environmental crisis, and that is the only way to describe it, it's a crisis. Uh, Ten of the world's uh, top 20 rivers, the most polluted, uh, are in China. The air is unbreathable in many of, of, of China's largest cities. Uh, the land pollution, uh, you know, the list goes on and on. And so again, the Chinese are incentivized, unlike anybody else on the planet. And so what I find is interesting is that they're developing an expertise in green and solar technology. They may be illegally subsidizing it, which is why the EU and the, and the Americans are trying to block them because they have their own emerging solar markets. But in Africa, this doesn't actually pose a problem because Tanzania does not have a domestic solar industry that the Chinese are undermining with subsidized solar cells. So, Kobus, I wanted to get your, your, your thoughts on whether or not you think that that's appreciated in Africa, because certainly by the West, when I hear people talk about, you know, China, uh, one of the frustrations, oh, well, what do they know? They're just coming to exploit. Well, it actually comes out to the fact that China itself has a lot of its own experience as a developing market. And so bringing that experience, as well as the fact that these subsidy questions don't apply as much in Africa, if at all, um, that seems like it's a, it's, it's a good opportunity for the Chinese to, to, to enter into this market in Africa. Kobus, what do you think? I agree. Um, I think China is um, quickly developing a, a reputation for being innovative, not only cheap, but also bringing stuff that that other you know that might exist in the West, but that the that would be too expensive to import from the West. Um, you know, and and also I, I completely agree with you. I think the fact that China itself is a developing country means that they think in a kind of a they think of, of developing country solutions. Um, that said, I think they what what stymies them frequently in Africa is that um, is, you know is that in China frequently the development of technology and goes together with a very supportive environment from the government. Um, and whereas in Africa, I think they're all kind of pulling in different directions. And that, I think, has become so frustrating because, I mean, the, you know, solar power in rural Africa, I mean, there is no more, you know, kind of environmental dream than that. You know, kind of that is literally, I have to like stop myself from not, from being too enthusiastic about it because it's so perfectly what one wants but you know kind of in africa frequently you know the, these projects there's a whole bunch of of kind of hidden shoals and hidden kind of problems um that these problems that these projects have to overcome and i think that is not the same as in china 
Hongxiang, I'd like to get your your feedback on this in terms of of the of the growth potential for solar power from the Chinese in Africa. Because when we think about it, you're working on this kind of small rural project, which is relatively you know relative to some of the other projects out there, is very very small. For example, in Ghana. Uh, there's a Chinese project to build a 200 megawatt capacity plant. Uh, there's investments in South Africa, as we talked about in Tanzania. So this is happening across the continent on varying levels. And I'm wondering when, when, when you consult with companies and when you talk to companies about the opportunities for solar, what are the questions that people are asking you and what are, and what are your responses? Well, as they are Chinese companies, what they care is like profit and risk. So they want to know like whether, for example, how can, like, whether they can get, for example, get support to do this kind of solar project, and when the solar project is done, like, whether there will be market for the electricity generated, and whether the government and the international organization would play the role as it was is written in a policy to support this kind of project, and what would be the risk? I think it's more like general, like, investor type of questions they will ask. But that's a little bit disconcerting, to be honest with you, Cobus, because once again, we're, we're in an aid-dependent type of format here. That is, without uh, really international support, these projects aren't viable, in part because many of the governments don't, and I'm, and I'm making a, a, an assumption here, which is probably a bad assumption, but okay, I'll go ahead and do it. But I, I wonder about the governance capacity, particularly in these types of new emerging sectors, uh, for a lot of governments in, in, in sub-Saharan Africa to make um, to, to create a policy framework that, that would support these types of businesses. So I worry that we're back to uh, an aid-dependent type of structure that without the IMF, the International Finance Corporation, the World Bank, whatever, uh, you're, you're basically, these aren't viable projects. I probably would go even further. Well, I, I live in Africa, obviously, and uh, you know, kind of, I, I might have been here for a little, little while too long at the moment because I'm a bit more pessimistic, I think, frequently than even than, than you are. Um, I think a lot of African country, uh, governments have no vision at all. Um, you know, kind of, and and they tend to not to not be, you know, kind of necessarily they know they don't they're not pragmatic enough about the choices they make. So, for example, like recently, um, Huawei gave um, solar streetlights, a bunch of solar streetlights, to um, to a government, um, to city government in Uganda. And they were installed, and they also they, they mentioned how much electricity would be saved, because, I mean, electricity is a problem everywhere in Africa. And I was like, why haven't they done this more? Like, why haven't African governments kind of, like, banged down the door of these aid agencies and just simply asking for solar streetlights. It would reduce crime, it would save electricity, it would improve everything at a relatively low cost. You know, kind of South Africa being the most, you know, kind of if you're driving around in the, in the, at night in Johannesburg is a nightmare because there's no streetlights. Um, so, you know, kind of so, so that, that's the kind of thing that, that makes me very frustrated. But and I don't, necessar- I mean, for, I yeah, don't necessarily yeah. blame the, the African governments necessarily on this, which it may but be their you, fault. Kind of no, 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 but here's uh, the thing. I, I agree <laughs> with you, but at the same time, the aid business is completely moronic on these things. So, for example, you have to write, you know, if it's not capacity building, sustainable development, if it doesn't fit into one of the stupid little boxes that the aid business actually has, you know, if it's not for vaccines or HIV or, you know, child rape or whatever they, you know, they're funding these days, then they don't do it. So even if it's very, very practical, and this is, again, where the Chinese, in my opinion, are doing such a great job is because they're actually providing things that people want as opposed to what uh, an aid business is driving and an aid lobby is pouring. 
But it also feels to me that like that kind of takes, you know, it, it lets African governments off the hook because, you know, you just just simply being satisfied or you know, kind of being resigned to the, the 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 aid business as it is means that they're not being innovative in looking for new kinds of funding. I mean, you know, kind of one could run a scheme where you like, you know, kind of you get some, you know, you you make people in the in the northern hemisphere adopt a streetlight and you put their name on it, for example, right? Um, and and then you work together with Chinese tech companies to make that happen. Like, so, you know, it, it, there just seems to be, it just seems to be this kind of inertia okay. in, in African government that, that makes me crazy. Okay, so... Like Hong Shang, I don't know, is, is, that what, is that what you experience as well? Or let's put it to Hong Shang and also say, what do you think of Cobus's idea? Well, um, I was just asked about this question, actually, like, last night in Uganda, in a development, like, group, like, discussing, like, meeting... So they asked me to talk about like what do I think like the Chinese development assistance model like how it's different and how it could bring more benefits. And I think like on this on, on in terms of this, I think I agree with the opinion that like when China comes in, we are more we actually don't see ourselves as like donor. We even don't use this kind of word. We try to make everything like more like business. So if it's business, if it can, we can do it, then it's more sustainable. So in terms of this, I think it, it really would help a little bit. And in terms of this, even in terms of our project, what we're doing, so right now the company leaders, they are thinking about how to do this, like electrify like those, the villages without the, 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 the support, the, the development aid. So although their purpose of doing this is to make profit, is to make business, Without depending on the aid, but in terms of result, I think it's, it creates more sustainable development for Africa. Well, this really, in so many ways, encapsulates the China-Africa relationship. As we heard from Hong Xiang, uh, there's an emphasis on business. There's a, a kind of a rejection in some ways of the old ways. But at the same time, there is an engagement of the international system if there's money there, which it appears that there is. So I think we're going to leave this topic today uh, with a little bit of optimism that, yay, it's great to have solar power. But at the same time, a little bit of fear that, well, it's dependent on an economic model that hasn't been proved in a lot of markets that are a lot wealthier and a lot better governed. Uh, and then, as we've talked about and heard from Cobus, um, did you use the word stupid, Cobus? Dumb? No, 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 I didn't. Oh. I just said no, they, they don't have any vision. They don't have any vision. Okay, so I, I took it one step forward. Uh, stupid and dumb is how I think of the aid business. So I, I won't, uh, you know, I, I, I lay out all my biases out on the table for everybody to see. So, uh, uh, but, uh, but this is a complicated project, but at the same time, a very, very fascinating trend to look at. Uh, solar power is definitely on the rise in, in Africa, funded in part by the international aid business, but at the same time, uh, the Chinese private sector is getting involved. And so I really encourage everybody to kind of take a look at what's happening in Ghana, South Africa, and of course, in rural Tanzania, where uh, China House is doing some consulting. Uh, Hong Xiang, thank you so much for joining us again to talk about your project. If people want to follow what you're doing and some of the, the work that you're, 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 you're pursuing, what's the best way for them to stay in touch with you? Well, they can look at our website, www.chinagoingout.org, or they can try to find me, find my name on Facebook, and so on, and then drop me an email, and so on. Well, you can also find you on Facebook at China House Kenya. That's facebook.com slash China House Kenya. Yes. Well, if you speak Chinese, it's a little bit more of an enjoyable experience. 
One of the interesting things about what Hong Xiang is doing, and we mentioned this the last time he was on the show, was that he's blogging and communicating in both languages, in English and in Chinese. And I think this is very interesting because he's actually relaying back to a Chinese audience a lot of what's happening. And Kobus and I, for a number of times, have talked about how uh, there's two challenges in the China-Africa relationship. One is communicating the Chinese to the rest of the world. And the other side is taking the rest of the world, particularly Africa, and bringing it into China. And uh, and I think that's actually something that's very, very interesting. So Hongxiang, thank you so much for joining us again. And we're just really thrilled uh, that you that you were back uh, and had some time to uh, in between your various projects to, to talk with us. You're welcome. Thank and you so uh, Kobus, if people want to follow what you're doing, what's the best way for them to stay in touch with you? Uh, you'll see me and my name in brackets on our Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And I'm also on Twitter at Stadenesque. That's S-T-A-D-E-N-E-S-Q-U-E. Once again, that's facebook.com slash China Africa Project. We just crossed a very important milestone, Kobus. I, I, I wanted to kind of get a cake and, uh, you know, <laughs> celebrate. But I'm, I'm waiting for actually the 250 milestone to do that. But we just crossed 200,000 followers on Facebook. And uh, Hongxiang, I hope you're following us on Facebook. And, uh, and and spreading the word in Nairobi about the, our page. It's really a great place for people to come together, talk about the issues, exchange ideas, kind of see the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, Kobus and I, when we put this page together and all of the things that we do, as I hope you hear in our podcast, uh, we don't take a side in this. Um, we are absolutely impartial, nonpartisan, nonprofit. We just do this for, uh, well, really, at the end of the day, the interesting conversation that we have with people like Hong Xiang. So uh, Facebook.com slash China Africa Project. And if you'd like to follow me on Twitter, uh, you can follow me at EOLander. That's E-O-L-A-N-D-E-R. And of course, this podcast, best way to find us is over on iTunes. Just type in China Africa Project and we'll come right on up. So we'll be back again soon with another edition of the China in Africa podcast. Thank you so much for listening.